This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Much of the political landscape in Washington, D.C. has changed since the November elections. One of the changes is the new Congress, especially in the House of Representatives, where pro-life candidates had a strong showing. Many of the decisions that Congress will make will have both direct and indirect impacts on religious liberty. As citizens and Lutherans, we have an obligation to let our leaders know our thinking and help them make wise choices. That's the role for the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in the nation's capital. The center's executive director, the Reverend Dr. Greg Siltz, and I discuss what will happen on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. An abortion facility near the Illinois-Missouri border injured two women within just days of each other, the latest in a disturbing string of seemingly botched abortions and dangerous behavior. According to Operation Rescue, the first emergency took place on October the 15th at the Hope Clinic for Women in Granite City, Illinois. Instead of being transported to the Gateway Regional Medical Center Hospital emergency room, which was just across the street, the injured woman was loaded onto an ambulance, which took her to an unknown location. The second emergency took place just two days later, on October the 17th, but this time no ambulance was called. Instead, abortion facility staffers pushed the patient across a busy street in a wheelchair to the Gateway emergency room. The Hope Clinic for Women has previously been cited for numerous health violations, including failure to prevent potential cross-contamination and infection, as well as a lack of properly working equipment. A California abortionist, who was responsible for hospitalizing six women with life-threatening complications within a nine-month period of time in 2017, has entered into an agreement to surrender his medical license effective today. Donald Clyde Willis was employed by the FPA Women's Health Abortion Facility in Bakersfield, California at the time of the abortion-related emergencies. Operation Rescue filed a formal complaint with the California Medical Board against Willis on October 3rd of that year. That's the same day that the sixth medical emergency took place. An Operation Rescue staff member was interviewed by a medical board investigator regarding the case, which led to a formal accusation against Willis related to three of the injured women. Willis agreed to surrender his California medical license to avoid expensive disciplinary action. Attorneys for the Thomas More Society have filed an emergency application for an injunction pending appellate review from the United States Supreme Court in a federal religious liberty lawsuit against New Jersey Governor Philip Murphy. On November 19th, the not-for-profit national public interest law firm filed an application with Justice Samuel Alito on behalf of the Reverend Kevin Robinson, a Catholic parish priest, and Rabbi Israel Knopfler, who's a leader of an Orthodox Jewish synagogue, who are suing Murphy and his administration for discriminatory abuses of religious freedom in their handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. The application alleges, in particular, that New Jersey's COVID-19 restrictions, limiting houses of worship to 25% capacity or a numerical cap, whichever is less, while imposing less restrictive limits on secular activities that evidently pose the same or even greater risk of viral transmission, violates Robinson's and Kopfler's rights as the free exercise of religion and free speech of an assembly, as stated in the First Amendment. 
This is World Lutheran News Digest. ഇത് ലോഹ ലൂതൻ വാർത്താ പരിപാടിയാകുന്നു I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. With me today is the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., the Reverend Dr. Greg Seltz. Part of the Center's main effort is to coordinate our interests as Lutherans to members of Congress, government, and other opinion makers and policy setters. We have a new Congress coming in, and I'd like to ask Dr. Seltz exactly what we're going to be doing. Greg, welcome to the program. Kip, it's great to be here with you as always. And yes, uh, we've got a new Congress in a lot of ways, uh, a big surprise for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was supposed to be a huge sweep for the Democrats, and they actually lost seats, quite a few, in fact. Yeah, I think what people don't seem to understand is, you know, we're, we're about the principles, not the politics. And what we see is that people are saying things like, we're not, we don't like this secular progressive stuff. We don't like this... Uh, You know, it's almost vitriolic towards the church. We have things like the Equality Act in the Congress, which is really the Persecute the Christian Church Act. Uh, it didn't get out of the House because the Senate was in Republican hands. Uh, and that was supposed to be a, a big thing. Like uh, they were going to demonstrate that the country really wanted that kind of policy. But in response, we elected a lot of pro-life women, veterans and minorities to the House of Representatives across the country. So that's the first thing. We just got to thank God for that um, because they're coming in uh, with a renewed sense that our country does have a, a, it does have some foundational principles it's willing to fight for. Well, this is one of the roles, I believe, of the, of the center that you're the head of. Uh, I know we've spoken before about how you coordinate with various Congress people and let them know what resources we have to help them do their jobs and to sort of act as a conduit for information. Uh, what, do we, what do you have planned for the new Congress? Well, what we're going to do, like we've, we've always done, is you know, we want to go visit those folks who share our principles. And we've got a lot of new uh, House folks. And um, sadly, before we get started on that, I just want to say you know, we did lose two LCMS members. And Cory Gardner um, was an LCMS uh, senator. And of course, he got beat Uh, in Colorado. And then John Shimkus, who's been a really a stalwart person for us um, in the House, uh, retired. And so, you know, those guys did yeoman's work. They were, they were very good representatives of our, not only of our church, but of our principles uh, in Congress. And they were, um, it, I'm really sad that they're gone because uh, when it comes to, you know, having people who do kind of get who we are, uh, it, they did. And to, you know, not a, The new folks, I'm sure, are going to, they're pro-life. Um, they're, they're obviously limited government. They believe in the church. They believe in the Christian, uh, you know, religious liberty and those kind of things. But again, it, would, it was really nice having those other two folks um, to be able to, to just kind of go and talk to sometimes about how things are going, even from a Lutheran perspective. Um, so again, just want to put a shout out to those two guys. Indeed, indeed. They've been great friends of ours. As you, as you point out, they were LCMS members, are LCMS members, and their uh, presence will be missed. So, I mean, so getting back to your point, um, what we do uh, is we try to go visit uh, the first time folks, especially, and introduce ourselves. And so we'll get we'll get on their schedule. The pandemic is really creating all kinds of havoc with this stuff. I mean, Who knows what the protocols are going to be uh, after the first of the year. Right now, we can't get into the Congress. I mean, everything is done by uh, Zoom. Everything's done over uh, by Internet. So 
that's going to be a, a real problem for us because there's still nothing like going to visit people and talk to them face to face, eye to eye in their office. And so what we usually do is we run by the offices, we greet them, talk to them about who we are, what we're about, why we're on the Hill. You know, we're not a lobbyist group, but we are an advocacy group and we represent our church, 2.2 million. Uh, we represent our schools, over 2,000. We represent our universities. And to that degree, um, you know, we speak as one voice about these fundamental principles uh, about what we think government should be doing with the church. And so we go talk to them, kind of see how, how passionate uh, they are about religious liberty, sanctity of life, um, the institution of marriage and educational freedom. And, they, and then, of course, we also want to tell them that we're there to pray for them. We're there to be a support to them. And we're, uh, we try to make sure that we're a helpful voice to them as well. So the, that first meeting is kind of get to know one another. Um, after those first meetings, what we try to do is be a part of, there's, there's called the values action teams of the Senate and the House, and that's where a lot of representation uh, is, is to be had. And so we'll be attending those meetings. We'll, if they're part of those meetings or if they send their staff to those meetings, we'll get to know them as well. And so it's trying to build that relationship with them and also trying to show that we're uh, there to support them with these these fundamental issues. Greg, could you explain a little more about this uh, Values Action Team, how it functions and what it does? Yeah, that's one of the things I miss. Uh, it was it was a regular meeting with the Senate uh, people and the House people who believe in kind of a limited government, um, uh, a proper differentiation of church and state, where the state is really uh, the the thing we're worried about. You know, not the church. And, and some of the, the pro-life issues and those things. So they have this thing called the Values Action Team of the House and Senate, and it's senators and congressmen who are committed to these values. And then, of course, all of the groups on the Hill that are committed to these values. I mean, there's usually there's, I don't know, 100, 110 people uh, in, in those meetings. And so it's a really, it's not raucous, but it's 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 to the point. I mean, we have all kinds of reports about what's going on in legislation. We have uh, reports of what's going on on the Hill. And then, of course, we make presentations there, too. I've presented to each Values Action Team talking about who we are, uh, introduce, opened it up with prayer, those kind of things. But again, it's, it's you know, meeting the, the fellow coalition partners and, and getting to know our senators and congressmen who are committed to these things. And then sometimes they'll ask us to do some particular things or help on a particular piece of legislation or something like that. So it's, it's, it's a, a way for us to get more personal, um, but it's according to the principles that we hold dear. And, and that's so that the, there's a regular meeting of, of both the House and the Senate on the Hill. Oh, when they ask you to, for help in uh, certain legislation, what can the center do? Well, again, it's providing, a, you know, we're a sounding board. You know, I, I work with even the Beckett Fund and the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, who are the, the lawyers who defend our religious liberties, et cetera. And, and we obviously aren't lawyers and we're not politicians. So the question is, what can we provide? Well, we're the church's voice. We're, we're God's moral voice back to government. Or we're also um, examples of what could be happening. So we, we might actually share some issues that are happening. I had a, a, a friend of mine contacted me once that was talking about how um, the, the town council came after them and tried to kick their, their little church out of the town square because they were renting property and they wanted to use that for, for tax purposes. And so those are the kind of stories where the church is, is under siege or where the church is, is trying to fight back. Uh, for instance, with the COVID crisis, uh, when you saw, and it's still happening, there, 
where they're treating the church unfairly as a second-class uh, group in our country, we would then write to our to those particular congressmen and senators and say, how can you help us? Or we would make them aware of what's going on so that when they talk these things through, they're not just talking on the floor about the principles and the legislation. They're talking about real people and real events in, in the, out there in uh, the country. So we provide those kind of discussions or those kind of illustrations. And we also provide, like I said, a, kind of a moral perspective on these things, because whether you like it or not, uh, the church has a role to play in making sure the government doesn't get out of its lane, even those who we support. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, on mostly on the left, who say that uh, because of, quote, separation of church and state, unquote, that the church has no role to play whatsoever in government. Well, the sad part about that perspective is when they say that, and, and again, I know there are all kinds of folks out there who say that, they don't even understand that that, too, is a Christian perspective. That's a Christian worldview perspective, the differentiation of the church and the state, because uh, in many places, even in history, uh, even the secular state had religious overtones. The Caesars, were they considered themselves gods. The pharaohs considered themselves gods. And here comes Jesus, and he, he differentiates. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and God what is God's. And so even when they use the term separation, we actually like the better term differentiation of church and state, um, they don't even understand that that, too, is a Christian worldview, and they should be thankful because that differentiation has created the greatest liberty for individuals in the history of humanity. So the first thing then is to say, um, what was the differentiate? What did the founding fathers who, who kind of put this into polity documents, what, what was their intention? And their intention was to limit power. And the church is a service organization. So the, the real issue of separation of church and state, if you want to use that terminology, is to bind the, it's to bind the state and let religious people get about their lives because freedom, religion, self-discipline, self-government, that's the source and, and the confidence uh, for liberty going forward. So again, right there, it, my point is take that, take that, uh, that dialogue back um, because Jesus is the one who, who actually differentiated those things in a healthy way. And our founding fathers understood uh, Luther's two kingdom differentiation in a healthy way too. So that's the first thing. The second thing is just to understand that we have a moral voice. All politics is moral. Uh, so whether you're a secularist or a Christian, you're coming at this from a moral perspective, and you have to demonstrate that that moral perspective is the best thing for all people. And I don't have any problem demonstrating uh, the, the fourth through the tenth commandments and why those things are better than violating those things. Well, for example, one one thing, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, uh, which is in charge, of course, of, uh, of putting federal aid into disaster areas, hurricanes, fires, what have you. Uh, right. Even FEMA has said that 80% of the aid that they send to these stricken areas go through local churches for distribution. Well, and, and on top of that, the church is, is usually there before the government, and it's there long after the government, serving people, not because they're compelled by taxes and compelled by job descriptions, but because they're compelled by mercy, they're compelled by love. And so this idea, again, that the government can replace the church, there's a big, um, there, there's a, a, a case before the Supreme Court right now, Fulton versus Philadelphia, where this dis this thing is, is being discussed where the, the state is trying to literally put a, out of business a Catholic charity because first they encroached into the charity market of, 
of, of foster homes. They first encroached and started taking over some of those things. Then they started partnering with some Christian agencies, and now they want to secularize those Christian agencies because they're partnering with them. That's how the state works. It encroaches, then it takes over, and then it puts out of business. But what happens is it actually hurts the very people that were being helped before, which is the foster kids. And so it's the same kind of thing with with uh, disaster relief and all those kind of things. The church is already on the ground, and it's doing things way beyond the government mandate. Now, that doesn't mean we can't work together, and, and that's the whole point. There's an intersection of these things. But when the church comes in as the secular bully, uh, which is what we're seeing more and more in our country, um, the church needs to speak and push back on that, not just for our sake, but the last thing you want in this country is a secular state telling everybody how to live. Well, you've already explained how the center works with uh, with groups who see the world as we see it. What about those on the other side? Do you ever have any outreach to uh, to the, the secularists or the uh, pro-abortion people in Congress? Well, you know, the, the politics is is not the same thing as evangelism, and so my work is a little bit different on the Hill uh, than it would be if I was trying to reach out to people. Obviously. We have great respect for folks. So if we're in a meeting where there's people uh, from representing both sides, um, we we come in as a humble servant to the process. Um, but in that sense, we, this is a speak truth to power kind of stuff. And what we also find out is that there's a lot of uh, what I would call pro-life Democrats. There's also moderate Democrats who um, are not secularists. They actually they actually go to church. They're very faithful. And they, they're, at, they're at odds with their own platform, their own uh, pro-choice platform. And so basically in, in the kind of the political work we do, because this is all left-hand kingdom work, um, we, we're, we try to even pull those voices towards us. But here's, here's why I want to make sure that people understand how this stuff works. It's dangerous for them to connect to us. It's not dangerous for us to connect to them. So if I went and knocked on the door of... Uh, uh, Representative Cuellar, for instance, in Texas, uh, he's pro-life. He's a pro-life Democrat. It's dangerous for him to receive me because if it, if, if it, the, the hint of him working across the aisle on pro-life issues became bigger uh, than it should be, than merely to his, rep- his constituents, his own party will start to come after him. In fact, he pointed out that, you know, that one of the things that just being identified with us. So we got to be careful about that. We want to make sure that uh, we that he knows we support him. We want to make sure that we reach out as, as best we can. Um, but it, it's one of those things where we've got to play by the rules of Washington, D.C. I'll give you an example of what they did to him. They put him on a committee where every time they tried to bring up the Born Alive Act, which is the act that says if a baby's born alive, you can't kill it, even if it was destined to be aborted. Um, every time that act was brought up in the House, they made him have the gavel to gavel it down um, as, as a Democrat. Now, think about what Nancy Pelosi did to her own uh, representative. She made sure that he had to violate his conscience every time that bill came up. So that's the kind of so we're that's what we're dealing with on the Hill. And we want to also respect their struggles to be who they are and uh, just find ways that we can uh, help. But I would say the pro-life Democrats are probably the best way we can reach across the aisle. Tell me a bit about the hostility that you're running into. Well, listen, there's a sec. I, people understand, they don't understand today. It's not left versus right. And first of all, those categories are wrong. It's statist versus individual liberty. 
So what we have now is a, is a big movement for what we would call secular progressive statism. And they can't stand the church. Um, I've, I've read the quote from Robert Reich to people. And by the end of the quote, he literally says, terrorism's bad, but the church is worse. And, and so th when you start to realize that these are people who are, have governmental power and they look at the church as an offense to our secular progressive future, um, you start to realize that this on the Hill, it's a battle. This is not a dialogue. Um, liberals and, and, and conservatives of old used to believe in, in the limited view of government. They believed in American values and they believed the church was a vital part of our culture. They just differed with certain strategic things or they differed with certain uh, cultural issues and, and the, whether the state should be involved. These secular progressives who now have kind of taken over one party, um, they don't believe in any of that stuff. And we're, so we're running into a bulldozer. And I wish the church understood that. I, I said in the, our last discussion, religious liberty was on the ballot. And almost nobody thought that. They thought, you know, Trump was on the ballot. They thought the economy was on the ballot. I said, if you're a Christian, what was on the ballot was your religious liberty to practice your faith without fear. And one side, if they win, is going to make sure you're punished. And I, I try to explain that to them. But again, you know, when people look at it, they said, that can't be. And I said, well, there's a different voice on the Hill now, and it's called the secular progressive voice. The recent election, though, uh, despite the problem with, uh, with the uh, White House, uh, there was quite a pushback in the House of Representatives against the progressive movement. You suppose maybe they're finally getting the message, or are they in a state of denial? Well, I don't, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, politics, like I said, it, it, it can change on a dime. Our, our founding fathers were geniuses in that they made the House the thing that could change on a dime. Uh, the Senate was a little bit more long-suffering, so uh, a lot of craziness can run into this, the six-year terms of the Senate, and they say, no, hold on there. And then, of course, the executive branch uh, also has its say in the judicial branch. So, again, I, I think you're right. I think there was a movement. The question how, is how hard did it push back? What you got to understand about the secular progressives is they really don't, if they can use all the tools at their disposal to accomplish what they want, they're not worried about representation. And so, you know, they, they, again, it's, it's, they, they, be, they view this, the state as the, the grantor of your rights. And they really, that's what they're trying to accomplish. And so there was pushback. I'm very thankful for that pushback. And there are moderate Democrats who are, are pushing back too. Um, so when I get back to uh, being able to go visit personally, I'd love to talk to Kevin McCarthy. And by the way, his uh, chief of staff is an LCMS person. So we, we reach out to folks who are also staffers as well um, and talk to them about, well, now what do you guys do politically when some of these moderate Democrats are saying we didn't like that? Uh, how do you work with them? And, and again, we'll then undergird that as best we can. Well, Greg, we're coming close to the end of the program here. Any uh, insights or, or predictions on what's going to be happening in the next couple of years? <laughs> oh man, if I only knew. I mean, it's it's been a real wild ride. I mean, I could never have envisioned the pandemic. I could have never envisioned the kind of vitriol towards uh, the Supreme Court justices that we saw this last couple of years. Um, but in spite of it all, you know, we really do understand God is in control. He he's even working through Caesar. I always tell people Caesar was a whole lot worse than our representative government. And God was actually working through Caesar. And there were some bad times for the church, even through the Caesars. 
But God is working through Caesar to preserve the world, but he still gives this powerful message of the good news of the gospel that only comes from the church, and that's for the salvation of the world. And so I just tell people, look, if you're going to get involved in this left-hand kingdom stuff, and we do need to do that, because our culture needs God's moral voice for its own preservation. Folks, that's dirty business. Roll up your sleeves and understand um, it's kind of like working in the pig pen. Even if you get a little mud off you, you're still in the pig pen. But no matter what you're doing there, you're doing it so that you can keep the voice of the gospel free so that everybody can hear it and come to faith. So I tell people, no matter what's going to happen in the next two years, I'm, I'm very confident that uh, God's work of getting the good news of the gospel out is going to find its way. Whether it's with a resistant government or whether it's with a protecting government, uh, we'll soon find out. Yes, we will. I remember uh, there was a Bible passage uh, where God referred to Nebuchadnezzar of uh, Babylon as his servant. Yeah, absolutely. So again, when we look at this, or Cyrus the Persian or Caesar, uh, we need to come to grips with the fact that um, you know th that's a limited role in the Scripture, and even those folks who are probably pretty nasty guys in some ways were accomplishing God's preserving work to keep the evil that can really be unleashed in this world because of our sin, to keep that at bay. And so we need to be thankful for that. Greg Siltz, thank you so much for being on the program, and thank you for your work with the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. Great to be here, Kip, as always. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.